So let's talk about um, how do you see over the next five years, Paul, with, with trends, changes in the environment, the landscape of practice, practice models, uh, DSO money, uh, you know, how do you see the buyer mix changing from where it is today to like five, 10 years from now? Um, it's, it's, it's an awesome question, one that dentistry, sh dentistry and anyone involved in dentistry should be concerned with because the people who could buy a practice in the quote unquote olden days were just, you know, someone who looked like the dentist owning the practice, but younger, right? right? So, you know, an owner, solo owner, solo chef, new young solo chef. Now, there's many people that want to, you know, develop a business strategy around dentistry. It doesn't have to be evil, but it can be, you know, multiple one example, dentists like my brother and I, we're buyers. Right. So we went, we're buyers and there's a private practice associate who might be a buyer. So we just take those two people, a small group of run by GPs like me and a, and a, my first practice 32 year old. The reason that we would likely, I don't like to use the word win out because it's just more of a choice, but the, the reasons people like us would, would move ahead of something like that in a practice purchase is we bring a certain amount of confidence and expertise into running this due to making a lot of our own mistakes over, you know, a decade. And the owner dentist would say, okay, I get to kind of be part of this thing with some other private practice people. Maybe at this point in their career, they're looking to collaborate. The star part I put is we wouldn't purchase a practice where a dentist wouldn't want to stay on for at least a year. So the difference between what us and a DSO is that, we don't need three or four years because we have access to a lot of dentists through my residency programs or how I teach, but some dentists, they, they wait too long to sell a practice emotionally. And they yep. just sort of say, I'm ready to go now. And as the broker, now I'm broker, Paul, I'm like, I'm really glad you're ready to go, but it might be 12 to 18 months until you're allowed to go. Yeah. So that, that buyer of the, the, the traditional 32 year old experienced associate looking to purchase their first practice the, the, the fit for them is, you know, six, probably a 63 to 68-year-old owner who has worked, 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 and now they say, oh, I'm ready to retire. I'm okay being done in six months. And that type of seller leans more towards the, you know, private practice buyer. Now we have a lot of, you know, your, your group was just amazing people. I love being there. Let's just look at some of these people. Like, they may say, I could work for three years and sell to a, group and group could be a corporate group run by non-dentists. It could be a lot of groups, David, which one of the things, you know, a lot of these, you know, you and I are both kind of, you know, uh, I had a friend who told me this and probably fit your, your family to tell you this, Paul, I've never met someone who's willing to annoy themselves for the good of dentists who will never appreciate it more than you. Right? <laughs> so like exactly. Both of us, both of us take these arrows about <laughs> stuff that has like no, true benefit to us other than sharing right. it's going to be rainy next week right i'm at the beach right <laughs> yeah. so i'm just like i went beyond the wall i say it was a game of thrones start. i'm a dentist in practice i went out here i'm like oh my gosh i didn't even know the practice transition landscape was this crazy so you know when when i report back and tell tell buyers this is the scenario sometimes just like people and you you see it with finances people oh, yeah. see it with their with their weight people see it with their habits they don't want to hear the reality because it threatens what they previously thought so <laughs> so i'm trying to get get them information ahead of time and say hey if you're going to run this marathon or iron man of private practice these are the obstacles you have to deal with and and right now groups there are more and more groups coming into the market ones i never even hear of i'm going to list a practice tomorrow 
And I guarantee I'm going to hear from a group I didn't even know existed, right? Like these are people, David, like maybe, maybe you and I who are, who are good at at least connecting and marketing, like they're going to be scouring websites like mine. I, mine for United Dental Brokers of America, by the way, which is not Dental Notches, right? And I'll hear from some groups saying, we're a XYZ DSO. We'd like to buy this practice. So maybe one of the points for your book is there's just a, a variety, like a nacho plate of buyers and ones people didn't even know existed even, even five years ago. So, so, so yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So a greater pool of buyers today with all kinds of different um, structures and uh, how they pay out and how long they want the dentist to, to stay. Um, I, I, you know, I run into um, a lot of dentists who, you know, show me or express to me uh, contract uh, proposals uh, to, from, from a DSO group to buy their practice. Uh, but it's more of a, you know, it's more of a consulting. Hey, sign on with us. Uh, we're going to be your consultant. And if you do all these things right and, and the numbers and the, and the stars align, uh, you know, we'll buy you out at seven to eight times EBITDA. Um, you know, what's the reality there? I, I, I just see that as a lot of big promises for, for companies that aren't really interested necessarily on the buyout. Maybe they do, but th I think they're looking for consulting. Is that a big piece of what's going on today? That can be part they're, they're looking, see, the traditional person selling their practice now, and maybe it'll be different when I'm 65, thinks, oh, somebody wants to buy my dental business and work it for 30 years and have the life I had. And it's almost this quaint thought, right? Right. And these groups, they could be in and out of this market in two or three years selling to a bigger fish. And yep. in their world, that's normal. And they don't even think, they don't, they don't want to even apologize for it, right? I mean, they, they don't even know how to apologize. They think they're purchasing this business. And I mean, I'm at the beach. I always, and I've been asked this in my own world. Do you want to sell your practice, Paul? Do you want to be the director of a DSO? Some of it seems glamorous. It's not nearly as glamorous on the inside as you think, but it's all the fish thing, right? You know, so there normally it's got a one fish buying out another fish. Now, sometimes we have a bigger fish buying out that one fish and they're getting way bought out by a larger fish. So I would say, you know, to use like my grandmother's term, there's no such thing as a free nacho lunch, but these groups are more sophisticated than people think. And they're really not trying to, they can't make such a lopsided deal that the dentist leaves because that's what they have, right? Like, like they're careful not to get these dentists to leave. They're just a little more, a lot more savvy in business negotiations that unless you have a really good attorney on your side, you are going to get taken advantage of. How should I say this? Like, you're going to get beat by someone who's better at dentist business basketball. Than you. Yeah. They're not even going to do anything wrong, but, but yeah. you need the coach to be like, you can't play LeBron. Like you just played at the JCC, right? Like, <laughs> like, so, so what happens is these dentists, the first thing they need to do is they have a million dollar plus practice and a five operatory practice and they're going to sell it and they're going to get overwhelmed with the number of buyers is they got to side with a good dental focused attorney. Because I said this, I don't know if I said this on your panel, but like, you know, they know the instructions, like we know the instructions to putting in a veneer. And when there's, there's contracts that they have a hard time deciphering and there's these big groups have teams of attorneys and they're, they're, they're in it for themselves. So they make, I don't know, asset purchase agreements, which we all would, right? We, I mean, who wouldn't make an agreement that's more, that's in the best interest of the person making the agreement. It's up to the person to push back and say, Hey, I'm not going to, if I have to hit what I did last year to get my practice purchase, 
I still want 80% up front, so only 20% out, right? And I mean, it's up to the dentist who, you know, you and I, this is perfect, you and I, I love these groups where it's like, somebody took advantage of me as a consultant. I'm like, tell me more about that. Yeah, I paid him $100,000 to fix my practice. Like, who told you to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, imagine you're fixing your house. Like, I just paid this contractor like 300 grand. And I was like, he'll do a good job. So like, why do these dentists, it's up to them to research and get their own team and ask questions. You know, this is, you know, arguably the biggest decision of their life. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it. No doubt about it at all. Do you, do you see, uh, do you see this uh, period of time where there is a lot, a lot of liquidity in the marketplace because there are uh, so many uh, more buyers and there's a lot of money chasing the practices as, as you've well stated, uh, which has pushed uh, price points up, uh, but we still have relatively low interest rates. So that's good there. Uh, we have, as, as you state so well, these young docs that are coming out with massive amounts of debt. Is there, is there, a, is there a, still a, a price point uh, Paul, that you see that the banks are willing to lend on for a, a single new doc to buy a practice at... at it's you know, a great point. And it, you should, if you can get this out in your book, I mean, so I, if I could just do everything through a video, I think people would dislike me less because if they saw my face and my expression, but when I just type it out and they read it, yeah, they don't like so it. much. Yeah. So a million, I just did this the other night on my, um, my uh, live stream thing. A million dollar practice, the bank it, is going to Max, they're going to give you is about $850,000. I mean, they're not going to give you more than that. And someone's going to say, I know my bank, Uncle Joe's bank, but I'm talking, I live my life in the most, right? I live it in the most. I go for these loans myself. If there's a practice, it's a strong practice, blah, 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 they're going to give you $850,000. let us say the purchase price is eight hundred grand. You have $50,000 of working capital because you always need working capital, right? Like you need some money when you take over the practice to, to make some change adjustments for you. The DSO comes in. And meanwhile, for me to do that, David, like I was, if I was buying for a practice, the DSO would have an LOI before I even got my financing in order, right? Yeah. So the DSO just has this big Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck amount of money, and they just take out a million, and they might give 780, and they give the other 220 later, yeah. provided you hit these things. But I mean, what I, I mean, Rob Montgomery is a great resource if you want to ever reach out to him for part of this book, because he's, some of these things I'm sort of, uh, repurposing for our podcast, like a good contract doesn't, doesn't protect you from a bad operator. And that's what he says. So, if you, so, so like they give you the 780. If I tell my seller only ever count on that 780 because they're supposed to give you the 220, but they could go out of business as a DSO. Right. It's unlikely, but they're, they're DSOs that go out of business. They're DSOs that shut down practices. But I mean, this is exactly I mean, your, your, your freedom founders event was so fantastic for me to see just even as a, as a person, because you know, uh, you have 20 rental properties and one goes out of business, whatever that means. You still have 19 others, right? Right. But, but if you're a solo practitioner and you buy a practice that goes out of business, you got that's nothing it. else. That's it. So, so that's why these DSOs are risk. Like, like I, my favorite restaurateur in the country, I hope I meet him, is Stephen Starr. Stephen Starr has got restaurateur of the year. He's got restaurants all over the country. He's amazing. He sh in my own Philadelphia, he shut down three restaurants since I've, I've been eating out. Hmm. But he has 17 other. Yep. Because he said, man... I picked the wrong spot to sell high-end seafood the market. I made an error, but Steven Starr's organization doesn't go out of business. So that's what your buyers or the people with the exit strategy should be thinking about. How strong is the buyer? And uh, they have to do their homework on that. That's why you, you know what's interesting, David, and this isn't self-serving, but what I've learned is the better your practice is, the more you need a broker. Like the better your practice is, the more you need a broker because a broker is supposed to bring a lot of different buyers. A broker is supposed to vet them. 
And a broker, and a lot of times when you have a good practice, can actually pay their entire commission by getting you the highest. Oh, price. Yo, I, yeah, I totally believe that. Totally believe that. So, so, so it's the opposite in dental. So if you have a $300,000 practice, I don't care. Listen on dental, yeah. right? It's like, we well, fine. But if you have like a $1.5 million practice with six operatories and you're making 600 grand a year, don't try to sell it yourself because you're going to get involved in a deal and it could be, could be a bad operator, right? So get your broker to bring you 20 people up for that deal. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you see a trend over some period of time, uh, the next five, 10 years when uh, DSOs and, and, and corporate buyers will be buying existing practices less, Paul, and doing more de novo startups, kind of like what happened in you know, pharmacy, uh, you know, certainly medicine. Do you see dentistry kind of hitting the same way from this trend they right will, now? They will in areas that are not super popular to live in, or I don't know the best way to say it, that are demographically unfavorable. In Philadelphia, they have the same challenges as a startup as anybody. Mm-hmm. And they would have it, they would be foolish and they wouldn't even want to do it because the energy that they'd have to put into that startup, they could buy five more practices. So in areas that are demographically unfavorable and as they try to grow, startups are more attractive because the practices in those areas aren't that aren't aren't um aren't uh I don't know, popular to buy, right? But if you were in Center City, Philadelphia, or Contra Hawken, or Dallas, Texas, in these areas, like startups are a lot of work, right? So like these DSOs, they're not into a lot of work unless that's their model, right? Like maybe they do do startups, but the, the majority that I deal with, but I'm in the Northeast, only ever want to know about existing practices and good existing practices, good to great. Like if I'm like, hey, I got, like I have a, a practice I'm going to list soon, 600K, four, four ops, nice practice. Even if the dentist wanted to stay, which he doesn't, a DSL wouldn't want it. Like okay. it's too much effort. They, see, the, my message is, in my experience, it's too much effort for not enough return. So a startup or a practice that does under $700,000, they have to dedicate too many resources to using. So in my experience, I don't see that. If you're in Florida and there's 10, I don't know, uh, guacamole houses of dentistry that they've made, they'll make 10 more. So I think it's very demographically influenced. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Paul, is, is, the, is the fractional sale of a senior doc to a associate, uh, is, that, is that still a model that has, um, has, has legs or traction? You, you talk about it and you're very realistic about the fact that, that uh, most solo docs, uh, especially as they're entering that age of uh, 58 to 65, 67, whatever, uh, you know, they're, they're in their declining years. They don't really know what they, what they know. They think they were going to bring on an associate, sell that associate. How many of those deals work out? How many blow up because they just don't know fewer, what they don't know? Fewer and fewer, and fewer outside yeah. of a family relationship. I rarely see them. And here's the why. And it's a tough why. Dentists, by and large, are good people. They really are. And they, they, even though I make jokes inside practices, like, you know, where there's an owner and associate, they really care about each other. Down the street, they might not care. But here's the problem for an owner to bring on an associate in a one dentist practice, even doing $1.4 million a year, there's not enough extra revenue for that associate. So that owner has to just give revenue to that person. And usually they can't give it enough to compete with the corporate starting salaries. So it has to be a long range plan. Who, Who would be that associate? An associate with a successful spouse financially so that they said, you know what, I'll make 140 grand working for Dr. Nacho and I'll learn. And it's no big deal if I make 140 and my loans make payments 40 and my, cause my husband's an engineer. Right. Right. And then three or four years later, those are, I don't know how you put this in the book, dentally 
from clinical and learning, those situations are outstanding because you have an older, stronger dentist hanging around, checking in with you. doesn't mean you can't do implants and they don't know how to do implants. The problem is most younger dentists don't have the ability to be that financially patient. That's a good one I like to coin. Younger dentists and buy-ins have to be financially patient. It may never happen. And the, the amount of money that they're making prior to the buy-in is usually not sustainable for their debt loan. Excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, Paul, the, the, the models of dentistry that you see having sustainability or more growth going forward, um, obviously a group of some kind, whether it's DSO or, or private like, like you and your, your brother put together, uh, what, what about, what about the, the, the solo dentist uh, that wants to stay solo or, or thinks they can maintain some kind of a boutique type practice, uh, more driven by fee-for-service, less, for, less insurance? Uh, what, what do you see as the models that are going to hold so true? I think there's going to be top chefs and they're going to be a, a super small percentage. I, live, I know in Philadelphia, you come visit, I'll say, this is a top chef's place. This is a top chef's place. Maybe there's like eight top chefs and there's, I don't know, a thousand restaurants in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. So I see it stratifying to this small group of top chefs. And what I would like to actually share is to become a top chef is very difficult, right? So yes. people who say, I'd like to have a boutique practice, they may not have the skill set clinically, or more importantly, as you and I know, skill set personality-wise or communication-wise, to be a top chef. And the people who are top chefs, just like top chef dentists, it is an exhausting life, right? I mean, it is not like a bar and grill. So I see top chef dentists, less of those, and a tremendous amount of these, and it kind of gets a bad rap, so I don't like, like Applebee's or Friday's or these more chain type dental places. And I see the middle ground evaporating. I work in the middle ground, right? Like mm -hmm. that's my dad's practice, but we're kind of this small group and we trend more towards top chef than we do Applebee's or Chipotle. I like to use Chipotle and Elvez because Elvez is like, you know, top Mexican place in Chipotle. And then there's a lot of Taco Bells. So those three layers, you know, Elvez, Chipotle, Taco Bell, I see less Elvez's, mm -hmm. more Taco Bells and the Chipotle is somewhat getting squeezed out because, uh, to run a Taco Bell dentistry, you're not trying to be a top chef, right? Like right. if somebody walked into a DSO of a Taco Bell style and said, we want to do a full mouth rehabilitation with veneers. If the clinical director of that DSO was good, they'd be like, refer them out of the office, right? It's not their sure. model. Yep. So I see the solo practice being, see dentists are very emotional, David. So if I say this, I say it'll evaporate or go extinct. Everyone says, there's going to be one guy out in this place who does veneers. I like this. I like your words. The trend for solo dentists is difficult. And if you want the real deal, talk to solo dentists ages 40 to 50. Don't talk to solo dentist 65 who said it's great. Don't talk to someone who just had their baby and thinks it's so exciting. Talk to 40 to 50 year old solo GPs. And all the things you have to do, you, my, my brother and I share the responsibilities just from IT, marketing, materials, uh, HIPAA, HR. It's, it's so, it's such a bad model. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a bad model. Suited. It's such a challenging model to run as that solo person, unrelated to how much money you make. So, so true. You know, you know, it's, you see it with the people come to you. I Absolutely. mean, I went to, the, I went to the Philadelphia Think Fest last year. It was awesome. And they had two top chefs up on the stage, right? One of the guys won top chef, right? And they go, Nicholas Elmy, you have this restaurant, Laurel. It's amazing. Are you going to open up another Laurel? And he 
probably almost spit his water on me. Like, God, no. He goes, you have any idea? He goes, I want to see my kids. He goes, I'll open up. You know what they said? Chefs and dentists are so like, he goes, they want to open up quick serve. They want to open up nice quick serve, right? Like one of them's working for Comcast. He's doing all their food. Of course, the other chefs probably say, look at you selling out. He's like, would you mind if I spend some time with my kids ever? So like the, the, the Chipotle style or the Taco Bell style, more Taco Bell, it's quick service food. Now Taco Bell kind of stinks, right? I mean, you know what you're getting, but nobody pretends that that's good food. I think there's a dental model and some DSO is going to do it where they make good dentistry quickly and they can interchange the dentist. Cause that's the part that, that these groups have to interchange dentists, you know, some retire, some leave, some don't like it. That's their Achilles heel is for the groups is they're not dentists. All right. This is good. Uh, all right. So last, last question. I got, I got to cut you loose here. Uh, so, so is, is, is the, is the, is, do you see any sense of the reality that the reality that we, you and I are talking about today, the reality that we, we know exists, uh, the message that's hurtful and hurts the feelings of those who, who think that they can keep doing the, the same model. The, uh, is, 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 is we starting to see any reality coming to the marketplace at all? Is it slow? Is it, what's it going to take? I mean, I see that there's tremendous competition for solo practice. So if you're above the age of 60 years old and you have a good solo practice, be like, don't worry about pollution, right? You're going to get out, right? Like if you're above the age of 60 years old, you're going to get out, right? You're going to be, you're going to be out. If you're in the age range of 30 to like 50 years old, you're in the, you're in the meat of it. And I would say the most positive thing to say is look to collaborate with the dentist in your area as much as possible. This could be, I've given this example a number of times. You know, it's great, David. No one notices when we say something positive, like you're being negative. I'm like, I'm just saying it's snowing, right? I'm not saying I didn't create the snow, <laughs> yeah, right? right? People have like, but sometimes I go, here's how you can shovel out of the snow. You work in a town like mine. I mean, I could do this in my town as a, I could model this in my town, but it just, I don't have the, I need a clone. I can get the dentist together. We ain't going to collude on prices. I'm going to say this, listen, how many days a week do you need to associate? How many days do you need? How many do you use? How about if three of you hire one good dentist and I'll find you that dentist and train them together, right? You don't have to have any business interest together. You just have to get along and say one works Monday, Tuesday, one works Wednesday, Thursday, and you work for this guy on Friday. And this dentist will be a dentist in our town. And yes, it'll, it'll require us to collaborate, right? But is it, what state secrets do we have? Are you bonding with something better than me down the street, Dr. Smith? So that's one option is to share associate sharing. Another option is, you, I mean, you're the real estate guru. You know, these buildings, these dental offices are built in are kind of crappy, right? I mean, they're just right. like these little condos. If you're 37 years old and there's a 42 year old person, and I mean this, I mean this, in, I'm totally serious. Build the building together, right? Like you, you build a bigger ship, build a 10 operatory practice, sell your places, turn them into accounting. Who cares if you have a $250,000 condo with four operatories? That's something I see as a really, really, that model, David, they would beat a DSO. Yeah. Cause that's two dentists running it, but they got to get along. So if somebody yeah. like chamfer burrs, if somebody like shoulder burrs, they can't start a fist fight about it. Right. <laughs> so like, so, you know, and it, I'm talking about partners, you know, what's crazy. You know what I mean? I, I'll keep it too long, but like, you know, Dennis, this is what I love out there. There's a lot of dentists who say they want to own like four or five practices and have dentists work for them. Right. 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 If everybody wants to do that, who's going to be the people working for each other, right? So you, and then I love this. You know, it's then they, that's terrible advice. Then the other terrible advice, when I go on nachos and someone someone complains about their associateship, you get these people go, "Well, go open up your practice right away." What I say there is that is another math error. I mean, I think you and I are just so math based. We can't have everybody having solo practices. That would make things worse. Yes. 
right? right? Like everyone goes, oh, get out of your associateship and buy a, buy a solo practice. I go, do you realize that if we say that to every, every dental school student who's graduating, we're going to have 6,000 people that want solo practices, right? So yeah. the, the right answer would be, here's how to have a good conversation with your owner dentist. Here's something that you can bring to the table. Here's how to manage conflict. They don't want to give you a guarantee. Talk about how to get a guarantee, right? That's good advice. I mean, imagine going to a marriage counselor and like you're like, someone was like, my, uh, my husband likes to play golf on Saturday. Like divorce him immediately, right? <laughs> I mean, they'd be like, why don't you ask him if they can play every other Saturday? But, right. I mean, I think at its core and I think what you're doing is amazing. And this you can, this you can attribute to me is that I think the, the biggest uh, obstacle and challenge dentists have is they don't know how to manage small amounts of conflict. So that since they can't ima- manage small amounts of conflict, they've created this weird space where everybody has their own place. And then that's not a sustainable model for 2019 yeah. because, you know, we even talk about insurance companies. Like, I mean, I'm on down the beach with five-year-olds. I always say this, you know, you could say like, if one five-year-old tried to wrestle me, I would win. But if 10 of them tried, I might not win. Right? Right. So like if 10 solo practitioners collaborate in some way, they would be strong, but you know, it's, you know, you and I know, I mean, it's just, that's why we create our, affinity groups but the people outside of it kind of throw weird stones even though they've never come to a meeting exactly 